0: time we learn things in bits and pieces and we have to go and put those bits and pieces together to form this whole thing that we know about God. But something I've learned about this book that we call the Bible it's big and it's thick and the bigger print you got the thicker it gets. (laughs) But it's all about ten stories. There's not that many stories in there. There's a lot of stories, but the ideas that God is trying to get across to us is not very many. He just tells it ten thousand different ways so everybody will be able to understand it. But there's a big picture too. And in this whole idea of teaching us what God is all about and how it works, It seemed to please God this morning that I would share with you something of the way this thing is working to make sure everybody understands that it's not just bits and pieces. It's a whole story he's got to teach us. So we're talking about the thing that started this, this idea for these sermons, was I wished I had realized how important that was. So we're dealing with things that you need to know how important they are and remember it every day. But now some things I'd like to share with you, and I've said it before sometimes, so some of you probably know what I'm saying, but at the time that Jesus was walking this earth, Satan had a big presence in this world. Folks knew a whole lot more about Satan than they did about God. I mean, you know, Jesus had got some stories about some folks couldn't even walk by the graveyard because the folks that had demons in them would run out and beat them up and take their clothes off of them. Those folks back in those days knew about the devil and what he was capable of, and I think it was one of the things that made Jesus so accepted at first was that he was the only one that come along to take the devil out of a man. They'd never seen nobody get the best of the devil like that. And I think that's the reason that so many folks was believing what he was telling them. It's because he had the power to do that and nobody else before that. Now you got to understand, there were 200 people came that claimed to be Jesus. So you can't fault those people back then for wondering if this is the one, if this is the Messiah that they've been talking about because there was 200 others and they had to pick Jesus out of the crowd. But nobody, nobody else with all their magic and all this kind of stuff trying to sell their story had ever been able to outdo Satan and Jesus could and that was the thing that made him stand out. Now, the average man on the street back in that that day, he was either a Jew and he worshiped down at the temple, or he was a Gentile and he worshiped idols if he chose. That's all they had. And Jesus came talking about something called the church, it hadn't been there before. Some of these denominations want to say that the church went back 1,500 years before Christ. No, it didn't. Not the church. The temple might have and the tabernacle might have but not the church. Jesus introduced the church, and it did not happen until 52 days after he died when Peter preached that sermon at Pentecost and 3,000 people were saved and brought into the church. So it's terminology. And Jesus was came preaching, repent. In other words, change your mind. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What he was saying there is this. You remember the Lord's prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that prayer without thinking about that. What Jesus was saying is when he said the kingdom of heaven is at hand, what he was saying to them before he died is that the church is coming and when the kingdom of God comes down to earth you are going to have a chance to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ And once you believe, then you will have a choice of making God the ruler of your life. And when you do that, that is the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Those two phrases are interchangeable. They're not talking about when we die and go to heaven. They're talking about down here, now. And Jesus was saying, the church is fixing to appear and when it does, you will have a chance then with the Holy Spirit living within you to choose to be obedient to God. That is the kingdom of heaven. So what Jesus was saying is, change your minds from all this idols and all this Jewish stuff and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, he said because it's soon to happen. It hadn't happened yet, but after he died on the cross and was resurrected, 52 days later, Peter preached at Pentecost, and there was a church, and there's been a church ever since. People back in that day feared Satan way more than anybody does today probably. Supposedly, according to the poll, 70% of the people in the United States don't even believe in a devil. Well, that means he's doing a pretty good job because he wants to try to do things, damage to God, without ever anybody knowing he was anywhere close. That's That's the biggest thing about Satan. He doesn't want to be recognized and seen for what he's doing. And when guys get a uh, AK-47 and go in a school and shoot a bunch of kids, and when they start talking to them, they say, well, them voices in my head told me to do that. Who do you think that was? They call them mental illness. Mental illness and satanic possession is in the same sentences in several places in the Bible. The Bible talks the difference between mental illness, which the government's calling everybody does that stuff now because they don't believe in Satan because they don't believe in Jesus either. Amen. And they're saying that it's mental illness. No, all of it's not because the people that are doing those things today are just like the people back in Jesus' day that he said would have had demons in them. So believe what you want to. But everybody doesn't have mental illness. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. I want to start reading you three or four scriptures that I think will be self-explanatory. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 31. Jesus is talking here, and he tells us, therefore take no thought. Don't even think about what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed. Don't worry about that stuff, he says. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. And the Gentiles is the name he gave at the time to the unbelievers because Jesus was instructed by God to first bring his message to the Jews. So that meant the Gentiles didn't have the message, so they were unbelievers. But he said that's the kind of thing that the unbelievers out here are after. They're trying to get food to eat and a place to live and clothes to wear. That's what what they're all about. For your heavenly Father know that you have a need of all these things. Now remember that word need. Because what we'll be talking about is things we want, not necessarily things we need. But you have a need of all these things. Remember that word things. That's what we'll be talking about this morning but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and he will make you a righteous person. That's the sanctification process that happens after you're saved. And all these things shall be added unto you. Now what's he saying here? Our concern as a Christian should be to be more like Jesus, to be righteous. Don't worry about the things because God knows you need the things and he'll give them to you without you having to worry about them. So what does that mean to us as believers? It means that our priorities in our mind ought to be on Jesus Christ and the things of heaven and not our priority being on things. Now in the book of James, we've been there. We preached on it that when we get our mind too much on things and not enough on God, God says we're idol worshipers. We don't want that we don't want that that name given to us. So we put the priority on being like Jesus. That's our most important thought. He says again in verse 34, Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. He said there's enough evil in the other day. Don't worry about tomorrow and what bad things are going to happen tomorrow because you already got enough bad things happening today you've got your mind on. So don't think about that. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus is all about today. He's not about tomorrow. He's about today. And there's one thing in my life I think I've learned. I've learned a little bit of it anyhow. That I got only enough brain and only enough back and only enough worry and anxiety and fear for one day. I can't handle take more than one day at a time. And if I can't forget what happened yesterday, then it's going to overload my today. And if i got to worry about tomorrow too, then that's three loads I'm toting on my back instead of just the one I'm supposed to. Because when I'm down to one day, I've learned I can pretty well handle that. Kind of keep a smile on my face and not sweat too awful bad. But it's a hard thing for us to learn as humans because we worry about every bad thing that we think could happen. Now, if you will, turn to First John, way back there in the back, right just this side of Revelations. Well, something fell off and hit me on the leg, but I don't know what it was. First John, chapter 2 in verse 15. Now look at what John is telling us. This is his version of what Matthew was telling us. John says in chapter 2 and verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. They're saying the same thing. Jesus got his message across pretty good, I think. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What he's saying is what he said a while ago. Our priority should be not the world and the things that are in the world, but our priority ought to be Jesus and being like him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now I've preached it several times, you sh- should remember it, at least if I call it to remembrance, what it said in the second chapter of Ephesians. There was a time before we were saved that we followed the world. And in the Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 and 2, it says the world is Satan. We followed Satan. We thought we were following the world. When we get involved with all these things that are in the world, we seem to separate them from Satan, but Satan is using the world as his disguise. So when we want something, these things, too much, you know what I'm talking about, big old fancy houses, big, fancy, shiny cars, all kind of real nice clothes. What we're wanting is for other people to look at us and wish they were as good as we were. A fellow told me one time, he said, I drive a Mercedes Benz because they last a long time. I said, man, don't tell us that tale. He said, what, do you, t- you call me a liar? I said, well, you trade every two years. What good would something be that lasted any longer now? He says, well, then tell me this. Why do I buy them? I said, so folks that you drive down the road will turn and look at you and say, boy, he must have a lot of money. I'm figuring that's what it is because it sure ain't because they last a long time. And it's those things I'm talking about, those things that we want to impress other people with. They're of Satan. And Satan, the, the neat thing about all this, Satan takes those things that are in the world and pulls you away from God. You know, if your payments are too high, it's hard for you to have a peace in your life because you've gone out and obligated yourself for so much, you live in constant fear that you're not going to be able to make a payment. And you've got to be above the world to be able to walk down the street and speak to Jesus uh, to anybody. You've got to. When you're worried and scared and drawn up in a knot, you're not even thinking about anybody, much less talking to Jesus about them. And what does it say? What did he say was the two most important things? Love your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul. And what was the second thing? Love your neighbors yourself. Love your neighbors yourself. Now, if you're trying to outdo your neighbor, do you really love him like you do you? You and him are competing, and you trying to win. You're trying to get a bigger car than him, bigger house than him, better clothes than him. You see what I'm saying? That's the, the place we put ourselves. Now. Where does Satan come into all this? You remember, he was disobedient to God. People ask me, what's going on in heaven? Well, I'll tell you one thing going on in heaven. Everybody up there is doing exactly what God wants them to do. Why would you say that? Because the one person that started trying to do something else got kicked out. Jesus said, I saw him fall from heaven like lightning. That was the devil. Now, understand something. Devil didn't land in hell. Devil ain't never been to hell. May have been there if he wanted to go, but he he that's not where he lives. That's the place that was prepared for him. That God said, well I might as well put these people that won't have nothing to do with me in hell too. Because Satan landed on the earth and he's been developing this earth ever since he landed just like he wants it. And what he does is take the earth and try to disguise himself as things in the earth so he can pull you away from God. Make you put your mind on other things, detract from thinking about God. And what did God say in the 16th chapter of John? If you abide in me and my words abide in you. In other words, if you're thinking about me all the time, I'll answer every prayer you ask. But when we're thinking about all those things, we can't be thinking about God. It's impossible for us to do. Love not the world, 15th chapter, 15th verse, chapter 2, 1 John. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't love both of them. Not the same way. But see, the things of the world... The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Now, you see what that is. I see it and I want it. Mama used to tell us when we were kids, everything you whoops at, you wonks. You know how children are walking around grabbing at everything. The lust of the flesh, it doesn't look good. It feels good. It tastes good. So you want it. And the pride of life. I'm doing better than anybody else. That's what it's all about. God says, Humble thyself therefore before the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you. He will bring attention to you when it's his time, not yours. We have a problem with that. But you see, what we saw, saw a couple of weeks ago, verse 17, And the world passes away in the lust thereof but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Obeyers don't die. They don't even go to sleep. The people who obey God live forever. Now, let me give you a couple of definitions. What is this things? What does the Bible dictionary say that when they use the word things, what is that about? It's whatever may be possessed or owned. Anything that you can possess or own is a thing that the Bible calls a thing, and you don't need to be wanting those things. You need to be wanting to be like Jesus. That's your priority. Not that you don't think about the other, but He said don't even think about it, some of them. But that's another sin I have to I have to ask forgiveness for. I think about what I'm gonna wear. <laughs> And another definition, we've heard the word lust a lot. Lust is something that you long for. I mean, it's on your mind all the time. You saw the ad for that new car and you hadn't been able to get it off your mind for two weeks. That's what lust is. When you can't get your mind off of something you want. And lust has no place in the mind of a believer. If you want something bad enough that you're defined by the word lust, you're turning your back on God. You're loving the world. But now let me show you something else. Look in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 14. Right before John says this, right before he makes this statement that I've just read to you, he says in verse 14, I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. Fathers, I'm talking to you because you've known Jesus. You're believers. I have written unto you, young men, because you're strong and the word of God abideth in you. You know something about the scriptures and ye have overcome the wicked one. Oh, I didn't know anybody could overcome the devil. Oh, yeah. John's talking about it here. How do you overcome the devil? It says in James that you stand and resist him, and he'll flee for you. He's a coward anyhow. He don't want to mess with anybody that's going to make him look stupid, so like Jesus, he offered Jesus all the power in the world if he would follow him. And Jesus kept saying, no, no, no. And what did what the devil do? He left. Because there's always some sucker out there that'll listen to him. And he wants to be successful like everybody else does. So how do you resist the devil? You say, no, that's all. Just don't do what he tempts you with. Now let me say something about that to me is very interesting that too many times is not talked about. We were born in a war. There is a war going on on this earth between the forces of Satan and the forces of God. And we as children were born into that. And David said, I was conceived in sin and I came from my mother's womb sinning. We're born sinners and we're born enemies to God. And Proverbs says, if you leave those children like you've got them, they'll grow up to shame their mama." Our job with those sinners' children, those sweet little things that we hold and love and like to see coming. When they're great grandkids, we like them. I'm hooked on mine. But I'm telling you something. If you leave them like you got them, they'll grow up to embarrass you. You got to change them. You got to change them into little Christians. You got to tell them about Jesus. You got to talk to them about Jesus. And what Jesus should mean in their lives. So we see that Satan in this war can be overcome. But let me tell you something folks. There's a big secret a lot of people don't realize. They think the war is going on out here in the world. Between Satan and God. No it's not. The war is going on inside of you. Inside of you. See, you came into this world as an unbeliever and an enemy of God. God on some people has decided to share Jesus Christ with them and they believe and now they're Christians. Now they don't have the natural man only inside of them. So they can't act like an unbeliever. Now they got the Holy Spirit and Jesus too. And all of a sudden there's a fight. And the fight... is with with you, inside of you, on what am I going to choose to do? Am I going to choose the world and Satan, or am I going to choose Jesus? That's the fight. Seventh chapter of Romans, verse 23, Paul said, I find that when I would do good, there is evil present within me. Yes, there is. It says, I know at least 10 times about the evil that is inside of us. That's Christian. There's still evil in there. And Satan is trying to get us to give up to that evil and do things that will separate us from God. He uses the very things that are in us as his weapons. And he's going to and fro across the, 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 the world seeking whom he may devour. But the thing he's using, as weapons, is the things that are in us already. It was born in us. It's in our natural side. The natural man, the old man that Jesus is trying to get rid of and make a new man like him. So you're in charge of the battle. Can't lay it on anybody else. Well, I chose to do this, and that wasn't what God wanted me to do. Yeah, that's right. So how do you win this battle with Satan? How do you overcome Satan? You say no. You choose not to go his way, but you choose to go the way of God. It all happens inside. It's a war between the person we used to be and the person we are now. That's what it's all about. And Satan's on the outside showing shiny new pictures of cars you can't afford, of houses you can't afford, of clothes you can't afford to get you all messed up to where you can't be faithful to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. There was a black preacher preached one time that it's like a dog fight going on inside of you. There's a black dog and a white dog and they fighting all the time inside of you. And somebody asked him, said, well, Reverend, who wins? He said, the one you feed the most. You see what I'm talking about? It's still all up with you whether you choose between the black dog and the white dog. You choose between two dogs that are fighting on the inside and which one you feed the most is going to be the one that wins in the end. It's a choice you have to make, a choice I have to make. Every day I've got choices I have to make. My job up here in this place for this hour is to see that you know that and know the difference. When I come down out from behind this pulpit here, I'm trying just as hard as you are to try to live up to the very things that God has just shown me that he's asked me to explain to you. But my responsibility is to see that everybody knows what I've learned. It's in the realm of your natural side. That's where the war goes on. We're the ones that have the lust. We're the ones that want things that we don't need. And the idea is that Satan has to tempt us outside of our mind. Now look, folks, it's a very plain idea in the Bible that Satan can get in the head of people who are not believers. He can get in your mind. He can possess your mind. He can make you do all kinds of the ugliest things that you ever thought about. But once you're a believer and the Holy Spirit is placed inside of you, my Bible says that Satan cannot live in the place where the Holy Spirit is. So when you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you, Satan cannot get inside. That means he's got to stay out here. He can't dictate to you like the fourth chapter of 2 Timothy says and and capture you at his will and make you do anything he wants to. He can the unbeliever. That's what demon-possessed people are. But he can't you and me. But he can still on the outside tempt us with all kind of things to make us make our choices wrong. James 4, 6, resist the devil and he'll flee. How do we resist? We stand and say no. How do we overcome? Now here's the secret. <laughs> the battle's in you. It's not out here. The battle's in you. So how do you overcome it? With self-control. Do what now? What is my weapon in this battle? Self-control. How do you figure that? Well, in every list of Jesus in the Bible, talking about spiritual people, there is that word self-control. You train yourself to say no to Satan, that's self-control. You don't fall for everything coming down the big road as Daddy used to say. You resist the devil with self-control. You don't let yourself do those things that Satan wants you to do that you know you ought not to do. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 5, let your moderation be known unto all men, he says. Moderation, that's self-control. Galatians chapter 5 verse 23, with the, the, the list of, of spiritual gifts. Temperance is one of the spiritual gifts. Self-control. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, and add to knowledge temperance. That's self-control. It says in chapter 1 of 2 Peter in verse 4, to escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. That explains it all right there. There it is. The only way you can get away from the corruption that Satan is trying to get you to be involved in that I guarantee you, you can see any minute you want to. All you got to do is turn on the news channel and you'll see corruption that is a product of lust. Most of them have lust for power. They want to control you and they'll do anything to get this control over you to get power. Jesus said in Matthew 17, maybe some of you remember the scripture, we've gone over it several times. When the disciples came back, he had sent them out two by two and he had given them power to pull demons out of people. And when they all came back together and Jesus got with them, they was rejoicing because they had power over the devil. Nobody had ever had that before but Jesus and when the guy came up to him and said, Look, I brought my son to these men, your men. And they couldn't get the demon out of him. And it's a bad demon. And Jesus asked him, said, How long has he been in there? He said, since he was a little boy. And he says, This demon throws makes him jump in the fire and makes him jump in the water trying to drown him. He's trying his best to kill him. Your disciples couldn't get him out, can you? And Jesus' comment was, how long will I have to put up with you guys that don't have enough faith? But you see what he says is this. Getting this, and then he takes the demon out of the boy. And when they get by themselves, the disciples asked Jesus. They were embarrassed about it. How could Jesus do it? And they couldn't. And he'd given them power to do it. And he said, You don't understand. You don't have enough faith. Well, how will we have enough faith? He said, This kind of, this this going of this demon responds only to people who pray and fast, they go without food. What is going without food? Self control. And he says the only way you guys are going to have power to take that demon as bad as this demon is because we saw in Matthew and Luke and in Mark 2 that this demon, when he ordered this demon out of this child, this demon was going to take one last lick and he threw that young'un on the floor writhing around and foaming out his mouth. And the young'un screamed and the demon was gone. He was so bad that he was going to show Jesus, I got the last lick. He didn't just mind Jesus and do what Jesus told him to do and leave him. He had to hurt him some before he left him. And that's what Jesus said. These bad demons, this one like this one right here, you can't control them unless you've got enough self-control yourself. So when you've got enough control and enough power in your life, self-control, to show God how much faith you've got by not eating things and not doing things and not wanting things and control yourself enough to where you don't fall for Satan's temptation, you've got power, then you can deal with demons. So it's all about self-control, people. And to knowledge, you add temperance, self-control. To escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. Everything Satan is about is about things we want and we got to have. And we'll have it regardless. You remember that the number one thing on God's hate list, number one thing he hates in us is a proud look. Now, how can you have the best clothes and the best houses and the best food without having a proud look? You can't do it. It's like I told the guy about the Mercedes-Benz. He can drive his car through town with a proud look because he's got a more expensive car than anybody else has. And God hates that look. He doesn't say Pride. He talks about pride other places. But in 6th chapter of Proverbs, verse 16, he talks about a proud look, just looking like. You got it on everybody. So that war that is going on within you between the old man that you used to be and the new man that God wants you to be, How's it going? You're the only one that knows. Are you winning? Are you getting to a place to where the devil don't mess with you anymore because he never has any success with you? Are you still fall for his temptations and and go into all these kind of things that he wants you to go into that'll get your mind off of God? What did it say in Colossians chapter chapter 2 and verse 8, let no man spoil you with philosophy and vain deceit with the traditions of men and the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. All these things that we choose except Jesus. Paul in Colossians says, don't let that happen. Don't let that happen Know enough about what's going on in the big picture that you know that you are making choices every day for your life. Like we said last week, there's a voice behind you said, this is the way, walk ye in it when you turn left and when you turn right. God's behind you. Just like you plowing a mule, he's behind you hollering ye and all so you'll know where to go if you'll just listen. Let's pray. Father, cause us to understand what's going on. Cause us to see this big picture, this thing that we're involved in, the way you see it. Not the way we see it, but the way you see it. And understand that you want us to be like Jesus. No matter who we are, no matter how old we are, no matter how young we are, No matter about our bank accounts or anything about us. It's just like Johnny Cash sang that song, Me and Jesus Got Our Own Thing Going. It's between you and Jesus. Are you getting a pat on the back and Jesus saying, Well done, you good and faithful servant. You've been a servant, a faithful over a few things, and I'll make you ruler over many. Are we getting that pat on their back or are we getting the finger shook at us? Make the right decisions, folks, between the old man that wants everything and the new man that wants Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.